Our reading tonight is from Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you, you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. If God's people don't provide answers, where are they going to get them? We talk a lot about the home because the home is a building block of not only the church, but also society. And we understand that the home is the first institution that God ever established. And as we talk about the home and we talk about the ideal for God's home environment, there are some of us that look at ourselves and say, you know what, I, I didn't get that. That doesn't describe the home that I was raised in. And there are some people that feel left out because of their past experiences with their home, and they cringe when we talk about God creating the family and talking about children obeying their parents and the Lord. And it is that there are some people, that, may, and many of us, uh, may fail to understand how deep the pain of an abusive childhood can be. And there are many of us that may understand or may understand that there's people that grew up in less than ideal home situations. So many people never remember or never heard you're loved within their home growing up. They're, they've never heard the statement, you're valuable to me. I love you more to the moon and back. Nobody's ever heard. So there are some people that have never heard that before. There are young people that are growing up in homes that are full of conflict and bickering and strife and there are young people that are growing up with horrors that I've never seen and perhaps can't even imagine. But it's not some faraway place. Brothers and sisters, these are the homes that are next door to us. These are the homes that are down the block. They're not in some seedy part of town. And too many have known the secret of wishing that you were part of somebody else's family. When we look at the life of Joseph, and realize that many of us are growing up in less than ideal homes, we can look at the life of Joseph not as just another children's story that we tell our kids, but as a way to understand that even despite the worst home environments, God can use those, uh, those instances and God can use those people and God can develop the right kind of people with the right kind of character in spite of those circumstances. What do you say to those who grew up in less than ideal homes? We can tell them, listen, God's way works. God's way works and you are probably cheated in some kind of way. If you became Christian later on in life and your parents never knew what it was like to raise a Christian family or to grow up with a biblical role model or biblical ideals for the home, then it is that you may have look at and, and understand and think about this as a Christian later on in life that I was cheated to a degree. 
that I was left out of something. But no matter what kind of childhood you had, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're condemned to live a horrible life just like your parents did. Is it that we are fated to make the same horrible choices that perhaps our parents or our grandparents did? Do we have to make the same mistakes that they did? Brothers and sisters, it is true that our family is a very powerful influence in our home. What the Bible teaches us in no uncertain terms that the power of God is even greater than that. I love the fact that John writes about our knowledge as Christians in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, and he would say, greater is he that's in you than he who is in the world. We're going to look this evening at the life of Joseph really in a, uh, a macroscopic lens. We're going to look far away and we're going to skim across the surface because I know that you can go back and look at the details. And I know, again, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably grown up with the story of Joseph. And understand that here is a young man who didn't do anything wrong. He was obeying his father. He'd been favored by his father to have that coat of many colors. And he was told by his father to go check on his brothers. And he knew that his brothers hated him. And his brothers uh, cast him into the pit and uh, sold him into slavery. And it was 22 years before he saw his family again. And through that time, God elevated him from the prison all the way up to be second in command in all of Egypt. And he has a chance at the end of his life, or towards the end, rather, of, of the narrative, and to get even with his brothers and to pay back all of the hardship that they did. And yet, as David read for us just a moment ago, that wasn't Joseph. He wasn't trying to settle a score. But as we look at this young man, we've got to go back a couple of generations before we really pick up with his story to understand what it was that he was actually receiving through his family influence. When you start out with the first generation... These are not on the slides, but uh, they're there on your blanks in your, in your uh, sermon outline sheet. The first generation, you have to go back to Abraham. Before Abraham was ever the father of many nations, Abraham was the father of two boys, Ishmael and Isaac. And it was that over the course of time, Sarah grew to resent Hagar and Ishmael, and she said, get rid of that person. And Abraham was grieved. He didn't want to cast out his son out of his house. But it was that the plan of God was that the promised seed was going to come through Isaac, not Ishmael. And Abraham, understanding that he had to show favoritism to this child, he showed favoritism to Isaac and he cast out Ishmael. Because of a lack of faith, he had to choose between his boys and pick one son. That was a choice that would reverberate for generations, and in fact, it is still reverberating today. But when you get to the second generation and you take that child to promise Isaac, and you begin to look at Isaac and, and, and understand that when he chose his bride, that is, Rebecca was chosen for him there in Genesis 24, they're happy as they go along until it is that they have children. Genesis 22, 22 tells us that Isaac loved Esau and Rebecca loved Jacob. Now you have a home that's divided based upon who dad loves and who mom loves. And Jacob, as he grows up, surely understanding his name supplanter or heel grabber, and as he goes along, he doesn't learn the lessons from his parents or from his, his grandparents. And you think that he would have learned those lessons about partiality, but the Bible says that when Jacob had those two wives, Rachel and Leah, he loved Rachel far more than he loved Leah. Leah was the unloved one. And so it was when they began to build their family and they began to have all kinds of children. It was that Jacob favored his favorite wife's children. That was Rachel's. He loved Joseph, he loved Benjamin far more than the others, so much so that he bestowed a special kind of favor on Joseph. 
where it was, it didn't seem like when you get to Genesis 37 that Joseph had to go out in the field and tend his father's sheep the way his brothers did. Whenever it was that Joseph uh, received the coat of many colors and wrote, Joseph began to have these dreams that his father and his mother and his brothers would bow down to him, his brothers, it says, hated him even more. So when you look at the relationship that he had with his brothers, you're already looking at it as something that's strained. But Joseph didn't do anything to merit that. Joseph didn't do anything to warrant that. It was the fact that he was just the favorite child. And brothers and sisters, I think we can learn the lesson as we'd fly over. When parents show favorites, when parents have favorite children, they don't do the favorite any favors. Because you're looking at the other children and not thinking from their perspective. Well, you're mom and dad's favorite. You're the one. And the brothers began to resent him. They began to hate him, so much so that they were prepared in Genesis chapter 37 to kill him. Joseph was an unwilling recipient of a dysfunctional family pattern for three generations. If there was an individual that could ever be bitter about his family environment, it would be Joseph. If there was an ever a, a person who could wallow in victimhood and self-pity for the rest of his life, it would be Joseph. And in fact, for the next 13 years, his life gets worse and worse and worse as he's falsely accused and as he's cast into prison. And this pain goes on for years. An innocent man suffering. How would you react? How would you react? What would you do? Would your brothers, your family that sold you out and sold you into an environment that you would like to be out of? Maybe you curse your family every single day that you wake up. Oh, look what I've got to deal with. But understand, brothers and sisters, again, the point we made just a moment ago, your family influence, yes, it is powerful, but I want you to understand that God and his word and God in understanding the way that he's able to mold and shape our character, he is far more powerful. God gives us grace to help when our past is painful. Look at these lessons from the life of Joseph briefly with us this evening. Number one, how is it we can handle or what's the grace to help whenever our past is painful? We need to understand that we need to trust in God instead of surrendering to circumstances. Whatever Joseph did, wherever it was that he was, he realized he's one of those individuals that Scripture absolutely has nothing negative to say about. There's nothing that is a character fault that the Bible chooses to mention here about Joseph. And understanding that whatever he did... Whether he, was a faithful, whether he was a faithful son, whether he was a slave, whether he was a prisoner, or whether it was that he was there in the court of Pharaoh, you always could expect Joseph's best. You could always expect that he was going to be the one that was going to be, well, positive. He had every excuse to give up and surrender. You know, when you take a child sometimes and you detach them from their family, Sometimes we have our kids, and we love having our college kids home, but sometimes there's some children that you take from uh, them out of their family and you send them 300 miles off to college. And that child forgets who they are, and they forget who their parents are, and they have spend time uh, among ungodly influences and ungodly situations. And you can find children like that, but, but you know what? Joseph, even though he was detached from his home, and even though he was detached from his culture, and even though he had been had this done to him, you don't find that Joseph surrendered to his circumstances. Take a look at Genesis 39. Mrs. Potiphar comes knocking. Mrs. Potiphar entreats him day after day after day after day, saying, lie with me, lie with me, lie with me. 
I want you to have this unlawful sexual relationship with me, Joseph. Why don't you just surrender? Why don't you just do it? And you remember Joseph's answer there in Genesis 39, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph didn't surrender to the circumstances. He chose to trust God. Brothers and sisters, now, right now, we have the best of opportunities to serve God faithfully. I know there's mothers that are trying to raise their children alone. I know it is that there are widows struggling alone, and the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 5 that she trusts in God. There are people now who remember painful childhood experiences. But what you find is we can look to examples like Joseph who did the best in, uh, in obedience to God despite circumstances. One man said this about faith. Faith is believing in advance what only makes sense in reverse. Faith is believing in advance what only makes sense in reverse. When we go through the circumstances in our lives and we say, you know what, no matter what happens to me, no matter how bad the past is, I'm going to continue to remain faithful to God. Brothers and sisters, that's a life we can turn around and look at despite painful circumstances. We understand that's a life that God has blessed. Look at this number two. We need to choose God's standard over the status quo instead of the status quo. You know what's amazing to me about the life of Joseph? There is no record of Joseph venting to anybody else. Nowadays, when you get somebody that has circumstances that are not positive to them, you know what they're going to do? They're going to get behind a keyboard and they're going to type all that up on social media about the way that the waiter or waitress failed them or about the way it is that, that I wish people would stop playing politics. You know, they'll post something kind of nebulous and uh, passive-aggressive on there. And they'll try and get everybody to say, well, what's wrong? What happened? And I, I just need prayers because I can't deal with this. There's no record in Scripture of Joseph unloading on anybody else. You know, the closest thing we have to it is whenever the butcher and the baker were, uh, excuse me, the cupbearer and the baker were there in, in the, the king's prison. And it is that they both had dreams, and Joseph interprets the, the dream of the cupbearer. He says, after three days, you're going to be restored to your place. And the, he says, here's what, what I want you to do. When you're restored, cupbearer, I want you to go back to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him that I'm in here wrongfully. He said, I'm a Hebrew. I was taken from my people. I suffered unjust circumstances. You don't get the fact that Joseph unloaded on this cupbearer. He didn't uh, just lay out his entire life story with all its sordid history. He just gave him the facts and said, I would appreciate if you remember me. Sometimes we have a tendency to want to vent and blast and get angry. Bad mouth, boss, teacher, spouse, parents, friends. Why? Brothers and sisters, who are we ultimately complaining and grumbling against? The God of heaven? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Is there a reason why Paul in a book of Christian joy in Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 tells us do all things without grumbling and complaining or complaining and disputing depending on how you read it or depending on how the word is translated? When you look at the good and seeing Joseph at the end of his life and his brother still afraid that they're going to receive the wrath of his punishment, Joseph says, Genesis 15 verse 20, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. There's a sense in which we need to choose God's standard over the status quo. Look at Genesis 41, verse 51. Joseph marries in Egypt. He has a boy, and you know what he names him? Manasseh. 
You know what the word Manasseh means? It means to forget. And Joseph even says here in this instance, for God has caused me to forget all my troubles in my father's family. You know what he's saying here in this instance? The craziness, the nuttiness that's gone on in my family for years stops with me. I will not allow this to go on in my own family. For three generations, I'm going to raise my boy in a different way. I'm going to raise him with a different standard. Brothers and sisters, the gospel ought to change you from the fact that if you didn't grow up in an ideal environment to where it is that you're going to say, I'm going to follow God and His standards. I'm going to uphold Christ and His, His will for my home. I'm not going to surrender circumstances. I'm going to choose God's standards over the status quo. Look at this number three. Choose forgiveness over bitterness. Joseph could have been a sulking, rebellious, loudmouth slave in Potiphar's house, crying about how unfair life was and how badly he had been wounded, but he didn't. We need to beware of bitterness. We need to beware of that which poisons us as people. In fact, the Hebrews writer would go so far in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 to say, uh, beware lest any root of bitterness spring up, uh, cause defilement, not only of a single person, but also of uh, others. When you talk about bitterness, what we're talking about is taking a mental vacation to go and re uh, revisit the scene of this crime in your mind. I like this illustration. Years ago, I had an iPad 1. It was uh, one of the first ones that came out. I was so excited to have it. And I carried that thing around with me everywhere, and I was holding on to it one day, and Audrey was still a baby, and so I was taking Audrey, and I was putting her in the put the iPad up on top of the car. And what I did was I buckled her up and got everything ready. We were leaving a youth devotional, and I closed the door and got in the car and started driving and uh, got up to about 55 miles an hour, and all of a sudden I heard clunk, 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 and I thought, what is it? I know what that is. <laughs> I did a U-turn, came back, picked up the iPad, which actually lasted for another five or six years. You know, take the lick and keep on ticking. But here's the thing. I felt sick. I felt absolutely sick. And all I wanted to do was not think about it. And I hear the sweet little three or four-year-old voice from the back seat going, Daddy, what happened to your iPad? Daddy, did your iPad go whoosh off the car? Daddy, does that make you mad about your iPad? <laughs> and the whole time I'm trying to hold it together and go, yes, it does. It makes me, Daddy, a little upset. But you know what? We do the same things to ourselves. We like to go back and we like to say, ooh, how did that person hurt you? You remember those words that they said? You remember exactly the way they said them? And you like to touch that wound. And you like to pick at it a little bit because, oh, you know, if I had it all over to do again, I would say this to this person or I would say that or I would tell them off or I would do this and that would get them good. We like to go back and we try to revisit the scene of the crime. That's what bitterness is. That's what it really does. Can you imagine the times in Joseph's life, maybe when he was sitting day after day, waiting for those two years between the time cupbearer uh, told him he would remember him before Pharaoh, and between the time the cupbearer actually remembered him before Pharaoh, and Joseph saying, any day I'm going to get out of here, I'm going to get those brothers. I'm going to get out of here, and I'm going to get even. Oh, I can remember the, all the evil things they ever said to me. I can remember all the blows that they hit on me and threw me down in that pit. Oh, I remember it all, and I just can't wait to get One man said, carrying a grudge is a whole lot like carrying a cannonball around in your pocket. Every now and again, you get to shoot it off, but all it does usually is weigh you down. One man said, unforgiveness is like drinking and hoping another person will die. 
we need to choose the way of forgiveness. When Joseph, at the end of his life, receives his brothers back, or at the end of his father's life, rather, receives his brothers back and hugs them and falls on their neck and says, I'm your brother Joseph, is my father alive? Everything that you've done to me up until this point, I've released you from. You'd meant these evil things against me, but God meant it for good so he can save many people alive. Brothers and sisters, we need more people that choose the way of forgiveness over the way of bitterness. Last one. We need to choose ministry as opposed to wallowing around in misery. Joseph served faithfully, no matter who it was that he served. He served his father faithfully. In fact, he had to go an extra 50 miles or so whenever his brothers weren't at the place where they said they were back in Genesis 37. Joseph served Potiphar faithfully, so much so that Potiphar saw that everything that Joseph did and the Lord was with him and that uh, he set him to where it was that he was over everything in his house, save Mrs. Potiphar. The keeper of the prison saw the same thing. Joseph served the baker, the cupbearer, these two men that Joseph didn't have any other relationship with. He served them. He served Pharaoh when Pharaoh had his dreams, and, and, and Joseph interpreted those. Joseph served Egypt, all of Egypt, and in fact, the whole world when they were coming together. You have a politician here who is fair in his dealings and, and just in the way that he deals with things. Joseph served his brothers, those who had so wrongfully treated him years before. Joseph so served his father. He was a servant again and again, doing his best. When bad things happen to us, when we are the victims of unfavorable circumstances, you know what our tendency is, is that we want to turn inward. We want to just start looking at our problems and say, woe is me. And we want to start uh, just taking advantage of, and like we say, surrendering circumstances instead of uh, holding up God's standards. And we like to throw ourselves pity parties. One man said, you know, the problem with pity parties is, is that nobody comes. And the ones that do come, they don't bring anything. Joseph made other people the highest good, his own joy and his satisfaction. You know what the truth of life is? You're never going to find a happy, self-centered person. A person who continually chooses to look at themselves and say, you know what? I, my wants, my will, my wishes are the most important thing. You're never going to find a person like that who is happy, who has an internal satisfaction. You know who, what is going to give you that? Service. As Jesus took off his cloak and put on a towel and began to go around in John 13 and wash feet. As Jesus, we understand from Mark 10 verse 45, didn't come to be served, but come to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When his brothers come to him at the end of their father's life and say, Dad said that after it was that he was gone, he doesn't want you to get revenge. And Joseph is very sorrowful about that. And they said, we're your slaves. Again, that's a veiled plea for them to look at and say, you know what? Please don't kill us. Please don't kill us. Joseph doesn't sugarcoat. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. What Joseph came to realize was that, yes, what happened to him was bad. But at the same time, God can use bad circumstances, can be used by his power for good. When you are healed by the grace of God, God wants you to take comfort in that and to bless others. And that's exactly what you find in Joseph's life. If you came from a broken home, you can bless others by being supportive of the same thing. If you came from a difficult past, you can provide wisdom to somebody else that can help. 
There's a reason why in the church, in the plan for the church, in Titus chapter 2, it says that the older women are supposed to teach the younger women. And the older men are supposed to teach the younger men. You suppose that part of that has to do with experience and life application and understanding that here's somebody that's already been through it. And here's an older man that's giving counsel to a young man who's now going through it and saying, you be faithful no matter what. You do what's right no matter what. You honor God with your words and with your thoughts and with your actions. And you make sure that every single day you're getting up and you're living your life for Jesus Christ. Because it is, brothers and sisters, that's what we're all about. Despite the circumstances that we're in, despite how many tires you have to replace this week or how big uh, the transmission bill is, we have a responsibility in spite of circumstances to glorify God in those things. Stop being a victim and start being a servant. Take your past hurts out of darkness and self-pity and bring them into the bright sunshine of God's goodness. The key to freedom is always service. Grace to help when the past is painful. Our homes are so important to God. Our good family is important in creating capable people, yes. But there's also lots of people coming from difficult and tragic family situations. The answer for us the answer for your neighbors, the answer for everyone is to trust God by faith. Joseph's life is an illustration of that. You be faithful no matter what. And at the end of your life, you'll understand in reverse what only makes sense in advance. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.